with every one of those statements going across the screen. I'm just thinking right there on the front row about every sermon. We're 16 sermons into this series. We had no idea. We planned for about 10, uh, and then we hit some things where you were like, tell us more about that, and we did. And now we've come to the Holy Spirit, and we've had this really reaction in the congregation uh, as a, when I say interdenominational congregation, I mean, we have people here that come from many different backgrounds, Catholic, Church, Christ, Baptist, Methodist, Wesleyan, Lutheran, you know, and then among the Baptists, there's Southern and Independent and Missionary and, you know, nine other flavors, and, and we've come together from several different backgrounds. That's not about being divided. What we found together in common here is the gospel, a high view of the word of God, a common view of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, some core things that bind us together. I want to start with a, really a, a topic that the divided church in the New Testament, church at Corinth, they divided themselves and they were baby Christians and got real uppity. And they began writing letters back and forth with Paul and messengers running back and forth between the congregation. The congregation began to say things like, Paul, we don't believe you're a spiritual person. I want you to imagine telling the Apostle Paul, we don't believe you're a spiritual person. And Paul says back to the congregation, well, <laughs> what do you think a spiritual person is? And then they started talking about wisdom and Platonism and philosophy and the and Paul's like whoa 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 that's not the gospel listen wisdom is found in the simplicity of the gospel and God has made the wise foolish and God has made the foolish look wise by saving them and them responding to the gospel not many mighty and noble were calling but a lot of us who are fools for Christ's sake were called not that Paul was ignorant or uneducated but what he said is, he said, you're dividing yourself and you're thinking you're all this spiritually. And he said, you're really a bunch of babies. And they were using a word in the Greek, pneumatikos. Pneuma is where we get the word spirit in English. It's also your word for wind. If you have pneumonia, you have wind problem. If you have a job where you work a pneumatic drill or a pneumatic hammer it's a wind powered air powered compressed air tools that whoop, whip those lug nuts off in a blank right pneumatic pneuma it's the greek word for wind or air it's the word for spirit in the new testament the first century way to talk about being spiritual was to call yourself pneumaticos we're pneumaticos paul but you're not pneumaticos Paul said, you are a baby sitting in a dirty diaper and you don't know what pneumaticos is. And that's really what 1 Corinthians is about. There's this back and forth. So I want to ask you a thesis question to get started. Bear with me. I have a few questions for you. This is important. Do you consider yourself a spiritual person? Now, I'm going to assume how you're going to answer this with a yes. Do you consider yourself a spiritual person? But I want you to be thinking based on what? Because if I would ask you, are you a spiritual person? I feel like everybody in this room would say, well, Pastor, we're here on Sunday morning. Yeah, we're spiritual people. We pursue, you have an answer. Based on what? 
would you call yourself a spiritual person? Just want you to be thinking about that. What you're really saying is what the first century Christians were, we, we believe we are pneumaticos, people of the spirit, spiritual people. And I would agree, you are pneumaticos. I want to show you what this looks like in the scripture, and you'll, you'll begin to see this. 1 Corinthians 3, I'm going to show you the same verse from two different versions. Brothers and sisters, Paul writing to the Corinthians, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the spirit. Back up one, please. Who live by the Spirit, one word in the Greek, takes five English words to describe this, pneumaticos. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as pneumaticos, spiritual people, uh, because you're still worldly and mere infants in Christ. Now, that's from NIV. Let me show it to you in CSB. Very similar, but I want you to see what it says. For my part, brothers and sisters... I was not able to speak to you as pneumaticos, translated here, spiritual people. I wasn't able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. Now, I don't want to re-preach the 1 Corinthians series, but I just want to give you enough foundation to get a feel for this. You are pneumatical. You are spiritual people, I believe. And I think you would answer that, yes, we are. But I want to show you on what basis you are, and I also want to see if I can find this common ground with you this morning. I don't think any of us want to remain spiritual babies. I, I mean, I've, I've met a lot of spiritual babies, but I've never met anybody who said, Hi, I'm thrilled to be a spiritual baby, and I hope to stay here for the rest of my life. I revel in my spiritual immaturity. I thank God for it, and I hope to continue on it. I've never met that person. Everyone wants to be more than a spiritual baby we have an inward innate desire unless you repress it constantly you have this spiritual desire in you to have more than an infantile relationship with God something in you is yearning for a rich and fulfilling experience with God an experiential relationship with God now, being a pastor is a really unique life. I, I love living the life of a pastor. I've had a great run, a great experience, a great career, maybe not the right word, vocation, ministry, experience. I've had a great experience. It's been a wild ride. And uh, just have experienced so many different things. One of the wonderful things about doing what I do uh, vocationally is being a pastor is, is about being relational. Uh, for those of you who, if you know, if you're like God speaking to me about being a pastor, you know, what's that like? It's like having a million relationships turned on all at the same time, all the time, and they never stop. That's part of what it's like. Uh, I think our deacons are experiencing a lot of this right now, kind of in this new model that we have the deacons on where they're really hyper engaged with the congregation and you're turned on with relationships all the time. Uh, that's what ministry is all about. Ministry is, ministry is about people. That's, you, know, you don't minister to the trees. I mean, you minister to people. So it's very, very relational. And being a pastor is a very relational lifestyle. So my life is really built around the relationships in, in my life. And one of my roles as pastor is to help people, you, build relationships with other people. That's part of what it means to be a pastor. I'll say it another way. I'm constantly connecting people. That's part of what my role is. And if you say, hey, 
I feel like I'm pastorally gifted, even if I'm not vocationally pastor, I'm a congregant, and, and I, I feel kind of pastoral, then you're a people connector. You connect people to people all the time, you're meeting people, you're, you're, you're connecting people together, and, and in order to connect people, you have to know people. You, you have to take risks, get out of your comfort zone, and know people. And, and it goes something like this. Uh, hey, Matt and Avon, uh, I met a great new couple here that are new at Cornerstone, and, and I want to introduce you to, you know, to Hannah and Taylor. That would be kind of what it looks like. And it always begins with names. Hey, party of the first part, I want you to meet Brandon and Alex, party of the second part. And you're connecting people constantly. Those of you who are in discipleship and disciple makers, you're going through this process now. You're building new relationships. You're meeting new people. You're getting to know them. And it starts with a name. Always. Tested at work tomorrow. You know? Hey, I'm Steve Pete. Starts right there. It always starts with a name. Now, the problem is the triune God has names. We started here last week, and that's why I'm just circling back now. The triune God has names. And we want to personalize our conversations with the Spirit of God so that we use Holy Spirit as a name as well as a title. Now, if you wondered about this last week, and I know many of you have been trying this week because you've been sending texts and saying, it's awkward, but I'm trying and trying to build some new habits. Holy Spirit is his name. The Holy Spirit is also his title. Now, I would say he, this person of the Godhead, is a little more difficult for us to wrap our minds around. Uh, Jesus, you know, is a man, and Jesus is the man's name. Christ means the anointed one, Messiah, the Lord, the Lord, and Christ. These words are titles. Jesus was his name. The angel said, you will name him Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. Is what his name means. God saves, uh, Yahweh saves. So what I'm saying with the Holy Spirit, it's a little different because it's both his title. He's the Spirit of God. He's also called the Spirit of Christ. He's also called the Advocate. He's also called the Comforter. He's also called just the Spirit. He's also called in the New Testament the Holy Spirit. Now, in your English Bible, it'll almost always be the Holy Spirit. If you look it up in the Greek, about half of those, there is no the. So Paul and the writers of the New Testament are using Holy Spirit as a name and also using it as hagionuma uh, in the Greek, sacred spirit, Holy Spirit. It's a name, and it also sometimes has the article the in front of it. Now, I don't want to split hairs about this, and if you're, if you're going to be a hair splitter, you're missing the whole point of the exercise I'm trying to use the name Holy Spirit when I want to refer to him in a personal way. And I'm trying to use the name of the Holy Spirit when I'm trying to talk to you about the Spirit of God, the Christ, the Lord, the Father. The same way I would use the, the article in front of the Father or the Christ or the Savior or the Lord, the Spirit. It's proper to say that way. But it's also his name. And the whole point of the exercise is... Because in my tradition, we never called Holy Spirit by his name. He was always the Holy Spirit, kind of this, this strange entity that had no human face and was maybe just a power. That's not correct. He is a person with a personality. 
You know, when I'm praying to the Father, I won't say, the Father who is in heaven, how do you pray when you do the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. When I'm alone, I usually pray, my Father. And I often will start my private prayers, my Father, my God, my Lord, my King. Uh, I use words like that when I'm praying privately a lot. But I never say, the Jesus, would you bless the dinner in the Jesus name, amen. It's weird, isn't it, to put the article. And so all we're trying to say to the congregation is it's a mental exercise for us all, not a hair-splitting exercise. If you say it either way, it's not inappropriate. It's not inappropriate to use it either way. But it's a way to remind yourself, Holy Spirit lives in me. He is a person of the Godhead of the Trinity. I am to have a personal relationship with him. And when I cry out to him, I'm not going to be overly formal and say, the Holy Spirit in me, I'm pre it's just awkward and mechanical. It's a personal relationship. Hey, meet Hannah. Not the Hannah. Which maybe puts you in some exclusive category. You're the Hannah. Or the, you know, Alex, or the Brent. No, it's just Brandon. Hey, man, I just want to get to know you. Let's go get, get, get a coffee, you know? That's the way a personal relationship begins. So let's take it a step further. Once you know someone's name, then you usually find out more about each other. In English, you have an idiom for this. When you just want to chit-chat and get to know somebody, what's your idiom? Make small talk is your idiom. So you, you know, let's go get a coffee. Okay, what are we going to do? We're going to make small talk. It's our English idiom. What it really means is we're not trying to manufacture conversation. We're trying to use conversation so that Ashley knows me and, Ash and I know you, Ashley. Tell me something about yourself. Oh, you're a nurse. Well, how cool is that? Where do you worry? And we're going to get to know each other a little bit in this moment by using our conversation. You say, what happens next? Well, once you start getting to know somebody, now it turns experiential. Because now what I'm going to say is, hey, Brandon, let's go throw some axes, man. Are you down? Hey, uh, hey, Jeff, let's go to a, you know, escape room and see if we can get out. Hey, let's, let's go to a, you know, a ranger game. Let's go do some stuff together. Let, let's go find a, a lake, man, and, 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 you know, catch some fish. Let's go do some stuff. Let's go to a TCU football game. Oh, by the way, Boomer. Yes. Wasn't that the greatest Saturday ever? Yesterday was the greatest Saturday ever. We need to make this like a holiday, you know? Wear your jersey to church Sunday following this, whatever Saturday was, as like a cornerstone. It was the best football day ever. So sorry to the Texas fans and the Alabama fans. And Listen, our, my point is this. When you know somebody's name, usually some small talk. Hey, how are you? Let's get to know you. But usually it progresses pretty quickly to, this is like dating, isn't it? It like, progresses pretty quickly to, let's do some stuff together. Let's build mutual experiences. And what's the point of that? So that we can get to know each other. Because there must be something about doing stuff together that opens our lives to another person to experience in a unique way. I mean, you would... You would shudder to be in a relationship with someone you never did stuff with. Because how would you really know them? 
you know, you just know about them from a book or you know about them from small talk, that's not deep enough to build a relation on. you got to do stuff together. Shared experiences are how we do stuff together. So I'm going to circle back to my thesis question now. Are you a spiritual person? Are you pneumaticos? Are you a spirit person? So here's the follow-up. What experiences do you have with God? A spiritual person certainly could say, well, I have the spirit, and let me tell you about some spiritual experience I've had. And whether it's your salvation experience, if you're just a young Christian, you will maybe not have much more than that. Or here's what it was like to, you know, when I felt convicted and I got, was born again. And that's a great a spiritual experience. And you could talk about that. But for those of you who've been saved like myself, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, some of you in the room, 50 years, maybe somebody in this room. For those of you who've been saved a lifetime, you must, if you're building a relationship with Holy Spirit, then you have mutual experiences with Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit, God's Spirit living in you, is the part of God you've encountered. Jesus has never appeared in your living room, has he? He's never come for dinner. The Father has never shown his glory around you, you know, on your patio and spoken audibly to you and appeared to you. It's not like that. The God you have encountered is the Spirit of Jesus Christ who has come into your life, bringing conviction, affirming the gospel that you heard proclaimed, and you responded and received Christ as your Lord and your Savior and your King. So I'm challenging you, Christian. What experiences do you have with the Spirit of God? And I'm talking about things like where you could say, you know, I, one of my coworkers asked me about Christ. I was put on the spot. I didn't have anything planned to say, but in that moment, rather than panic, I had this peace, and the words just came to me, and I know right now that that was God's Spirit working through me in that moment. It was very real and very powerful and very unscripted, and, and I just know that God worked in that, in that moment through me. That's what I'm talking about. Or that moment where you were facing tragedy and the calm of the comforter came upon your life. Jeff, I saw you live this, and you were just peaceful and calm, and you made decisions for your family, and you held people together. That's the supernatural working of the calming comforter of Almighty God working through your life. That's exactly a spiritual moment. It's that moment when God's Spirit says to you, that person right in front of you needs prayer right now. And you're like, what if they don't, though? Isn't that the way it works? But no, it's, you know, we're right out here in public and God's Spirit saying, talk to this person right here. This person needs a kind word. I can imagine some of you as nurses get to do this daily and the Spirit speaking to you as you come in and out of rooms and deal with people. God's Spirit saying to you, or you school teachers, God's Spirit saying to you, this child right here needs some love. This one needs a paddle, that one needs some love. You know, you're probably working through the room, yeah. But, but you know, when you're dealing with people, maybe it's a coworker. We have this experience as, you know, we have 50 employees here at the church and through our preschool. Um, we have a lot of employees. Sometimes you just pass somebody in the hall and the Spirit of God just says, this person needs some love. That could be a spiritual moment. And you say, well, how do I know? Because you're not naturally that way. You're not naturally that way. Naturally, most of you will stay well within the boundaries of your comfort zone. And if you're hearing voices that say step out of those boundaries, 
give, minister peace, show compassion, give love. That's God's spirit working through your life. That's how you know. So as you think about yourself as a spiritual person, my challenge to you really as we speak about him more in these weeks, your October challenge is really about getting to know God's Spirit, Holy Spirit in a personal way. You may not see him perform a miracle in the next few weeks, but I can guarantee you if you pursue a relationship with him, you will 100% hear his voice in the next few weeks. If you pursue him, and open your ears to him and talk to him, I can guarantee you, you will hear his voice in the next few weeks. His voice will not be external, like my voice is external to your body right now, and you're hearing it through your senses of of hearing, through your physical ears. His voice will not be external coming internal. His voice will be internal. Be an internal voice speaking into your Directly into your thought process. Directly into your mind. And when he talks to you, for heaven's sake, talk back to him. Imagine again in the relational model. Hey, Damon, I'd like you to meet Brandon. And Brandon says, hey, man, it's good to meet you. And Damon just leaves him hanging. Doesn't talk back. That's awkward. How do you build a relationship on that? So my, my challenge to you is this. He will speak to you. Don't leave him hanging. Don't leave him out there. He's like, man, I'm glad you're trying to engage me. Let's talk. And you're just like, busy, can't talk now, later, bye. No, you've got to engage him. And this is the practice that we're trying to develop. You have a spiritual interface. Your spirit is the uniting point with God's spirit. You have a spirit in here. And your spirit, now that you're born again, has interfaced with God's spirit. Let me read to you. 1 Corinthians 6. But whoever is united with the Lord is one spirit with him. You're you're connected. Flee from sexual immorality. Now he's talking about something else. Now he's talking about your body. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received of God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, this is a very interesting conversation. And maybe you're just those sexual sins jumped out at you. Don't get hung up on that for a moment. I just want to show you something that's really fascinating. You're a living soul. Let me say that another way. You're an embodied spirit. You're a spirit inside of a body. You have a body and there's a spirit in there. Everybody with me? That's pretty easy right there. You're a body and you got a spirit in there. And that all together, you're a living soul, which is an embodied spirit. And because your spirit lives inside of your body, your body matters. Because your body is being called a temple in this passage you are a living house that god dwells inside of inside of your house that we call you inside of your house god is interfaced with your spirit 
you are connected to God in a spiritual way, on a spiritual level. And I know this is challenging, and I'm going to show you how it's challenging, because I'm thinking, okay, Paul, how can you say that Christ is in me, and then turn around and say the Apostles' Creed, he died, was buried, and ascended to heaven? If he ascended to heaven at the Father's right hand, and he's visible, physical in his ascension, he physically is in the right hand of the Father, then how is he in me? How can Paul say both things are true? Let me show you. Galatians 2.20. Paul again. I have been crucified with Christ. Famous verse. You know it. And I no longer live. But who lives in Paul? Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. So let me be very clear what we're saying this morning. When Paul says Christ lives in me, Paul certainly means that the spirit of Christ is what lives in him. Not the body of Christ is in here. I don't know how that would even work. You know what I'm saying? Logistically. Jesus' body is not inside of my body. The spirit of Christ has come into my body so that now I could say, yeah, Christ is living through these hands. Christ is living through this mouth, through these eyes, through these feet, through this voice, through your talents, through your abilities, through your relationships. The life you now live is not true. You're living the life of Christ. Why? The Spirit of Christ has moved in to your house. Paul's point is Jesus is physically in heaven, but he has sent his Spirit to live in us. And I want you to watch in the passage I'm about to read because Paul's going to speak of the Holy Spirit being in you as a synonym of having Christ dwell in your heart. He'll use them interchangeably. Now, so you know the passage is about the Spirit. You'll be very clear. Ephesians 3, verse 16, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. So whatever Paul's about to talk about has to do with us being built up being strengthened and empowered in our inner person, in what way? Because the Spirit, capital S, of God is inside of me. Now watch verse 17, watch the synonym. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. For Paul, when he says Jesus is living in you, he doesn't mean bodily Jesus, he's at the right hand of the Father. He means the Spirit of God also called the Spirit of Jesus in the Bible, has moved into you so that the Spirit that was in Christ is now living in us. Let me keep reading verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people just to grasp the love of God. Watch this. To grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. God is going to pour his spirit into you so that you are full of God. Now this is pretty incredible. 
This is kind of new compared to the Old Testament where God's among his people. But now God's saying, I'm going to just fill you with my presence and I'm going to fill you with my life. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you is how Christ dwells in you. So when you say to someone or maybe your child when you're talking about spiritual things and you say, hey, Sophia, you know, Jesus lives in my heart. And she may say, well, how does that work? Well, you can explain because he's given me his spirit. The spirit of Christ is in me. The spirit of God is in me. Therefore, I'm connected with God. I'm in a relationship with God. I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've asked him to be the king of my life, and I'm living in his kingdom and for his kingdom. He is living now in my heart by the indwelling presence of his spirit. Now, at the, at the conclusion of the Upper Room Discourse, I've talked about this like three weeks running. Upper Room Discourse is John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. It's one running conversation that last night, the night Jesus will be arrested, and tomorrow he'll be crucified. Last night of his life on earth, before his crucifixion, this is the conversation he's having with the disciples about his death, about housing, dwelling in the hearts of people, about opening up uh, the house of God so we could tabernacle together, about sending the Holy Spirit, and the whole prayer is about unity. He's praying for his disciples then and now. You, I want to read a portion of this. Listen to John 17. My prayer is Jesus praying. My prayer is not for them alone, not just for Peter, James, and John. Father, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Did you believe on Jesus because of the message of the Bible? Yes. Then Jesus is praying for you right now in this passage. I'm praying for Peter, James, and John, but I'm also praying for Rick and Becky and, and David and Amanda and, and Aaron and Jeremy. I'm also praying for those who are going to believe on me later because they read what the apostles wrote down and their own testimony. That, now watch what Jesus' prayer is, verse 21. That all of them may be one, all of the believers then and now, all of the church of Jesus Christ may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us. God, the same way that you and I, Jesus, are connected. I'm in you and you're in me. My prayer is for those believers to be in a relationship with us to the extent I'm in a relationship with you. This is wild. Jesus saying, I want the whole family to be united together. May they be in us. So that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. And you have loved them. Even as you love me. Are you feeling the weight of this? Jesus is praying that the Father would do this unification and spirit filling in our lives and make us one with God so that the whole world would know that God loves you just like he loves Jesus, his own son. That's why John would write, what manner of love is this? That we should be called the sons, the children of God. What an honor God has bestowed upon us. 
The context is simply this. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving in bodily presence. I'm sending the Holy Spirit down to live in the hearts of people in a personal way. And I'm going to go prepare the way for all of us to be together. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to be rise again. I'm going to ascend to heaven so that all of this can happen. And God will no longer merely be among his people, coming and going and visible here and then invisible there. No, that's going to pass away. Instead of being among his people, now God will be in his people and every believer will be a living temple of almighty god your spirit now is eternally interfaced with god's spirit but here's the wrinkles since your spirit is in a human body your body also needs to be viewed by you as god's temple your body is god's temple Somewhere in prayer this week, maybe this morning at the end of the message, I want you to bow your head and say, God, I acknowledge that my body is your temple. I have a problem with cheeseburgers and pepperoni pizzas. And I have to retrain myself even now in my 50s to say to myself, okay, this is God's temple at some point. You've got to slow down on this stuff. You're not honoring God. Some of you this week need to say, this phone is not healthy for me mentally and emotionally. I need to limit the amount of time I'm on this. I am God's temple. And I need to go walk around the block. I need to go to the park with my kids. I need to do something different. Your body is God's temple. Your physical health matters, your mental health matters, your spiritual health matters. You see, the modern sentiment right now in our culture, in post-Christian America, is simply this. It's my body. I can do with it what I please. And as you see this statement behind me on the screen, something in you bristles, but something in you also says, yeah, I kind of get that. We're very independent people in Texas. We're very free-thinking people, very individualistic people. But I want to caution you because you can see when you look at this statement that the spirit of this world runs anti-Christ. The spirit of this age runs against. It's antithetical to the spirit of God that's living in you. Holy Spirit in you matters because your body is the temple of God. That means your body is a big deal to God, which means how we live out our daily lives matters to our spiritual relationship with God. And the spiritual person, the nematicos, would say, I am part of, I am connected to God, I have Holy Spirit, I have the Spirit of God living in me, so my outlook, my worldview would be this, Holy Spirit, my body is your temple and I want to honor you. This would be a great prayer for you this week, maybe even this morning, if you've never prayed this, and just say, God, you know, I don't always look at this as your temple, but it is your temple. God, help me to be a good custodian of your temple. Lord, help me to get, you know, the Bible says whatsoever is good, think on these things. The Bible says hide God's word in your heart. God, help me to be a good steward of your temple. Your connection to God is the spirit of God 
He is present in your life. He's interfaced you to God. Your body matters. Your spirit matters. Your health matters. Your, your, your thoughts matter. Your heart matters. And I want you to continually this week see Holy Spirit as a person. In any relationship, getting to know someone is a process of discovering their personality. I don't know whether dating would be a better illustration or friendship here, but Holy Spirit has a personality. It's not just an it that has power and you plug into it like 220 or 110 and boom, the power is there and, and I appropriate it. For, it's not like that. Holy Spirit is a person. And the power and the comfort and the love and the joy and, and what he wants to bring to bear in your life comes through a relationship, not by tapping into a power source, but by embracing a person and having a relationship with him. And being a follower of Christ, living out the life of Christ is a process, your discipleship is a process of getting to know, discovering the personality of Christ's Spirit, Holy Spirit, living in us. This issue of developing new, new relationships, is the, the problem with it is this, what if I don't like someone's personality? It's why many of you are scared to get into a discipleship group. You're like, yeah, what if we don't click? Oh my gosh, you'll be the first ever. We'll be shocked. Listen, we've moved so many people so many times. We've moved some people three or four times. Some people can't find a friend because they haven't learned how to be a friend. But trust me, you will not be the first person to try to work through a relationship. You're like, yeah, but this is messy. Welcome, welcome to following Christ. Welcome to being a Christian. Yes, it's messy. Gosh, do you want your in-laws to move in with you? <coughs> but you love them. Say yes. yes. Say yes. You love them. They're wonderful people. Doesn't mean you want to move, move in. But listen, the Holy Spirit's moving in with you. Already has moved in, I pray. And he's there. We've ignored him. We're going to build a relationship with him. Now, this is the thing about dating. Why people don't put themselves out there. What if they don't like me? But you got to take the risk. You got to take the risk. You say, well, what if I don't like them? Move on. You got to take the risk. It, it, this is the messy part of life. Not everybody clicks, but eventually we find the people we click with and how we can build relationships. And yes, you have to put yourself out there. And yes, there's some work involved in this. But here's what I want to say to you. This is really a risk-free proposition that I'm putting in front of you. And I'll tell you why I feel it's risk-free. I want you to get to know Holy Spirit as a person, and you're thinking, what if he doesn't like me? What if I don't like him? Would God really, would God really work in me? I mean, if you knew all the things I've done, Pastor, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul said. Apostle Paul said, I murdered people for a living. I was a Judas terrorist, and God saw fit to save me. What's your story? You say, well, who are you? I killed the apostles. I stoned Stephen. And I can't believe God forgave me of my sins and saved me. I am the chiefest of sinners. The whole point of God saving Paul and the thief on the cross is God can work with you, trust me. Yes, you've got some baggage. Welcome to our world. We all have baggage. You're among your friends this morning. We, we are all equal in this this morning. Take the risk, it's not really a risk. And let me tell you why it's not a risk. I have known this Holy Spirit. I have known Him for almost 50 years. You're going to love Him. 
you're going to love him. Anybody here known him a decade or two? You're going to love him. You're going to love him. You say, well, how do you know we're going to get along? Well, because he is long-suffering and merciful and gracious and kind. And he is filled with love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, mercy, grace, kindness. It's long-suffering to us. He's extremely patient. He's there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll be with you to the end of the world, to your very last breath until you get a new body. You're going to love having this constant companion who is God. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit is living in you. Now, here's what I want you to think about in this moment. When I say Holy Spirit lives in you, I am saying to you, He is the internal expression of God's personality. Holy Spirit is the internal expression, internal to you, expression of God's personality in your life. Say it another way, because this is new language for many of you. God's personality, if you're a believer, this is all if you're a believer, of course. If you're a believer, God's personality is living in you. You say, well, sometimes I feel convicted and funny. Yeah, you've got your personality in there, and you've got God's personality in there. Do you think they would ever conflict? Let me ask you a question. If your father's personality lived in there with your personality, do you have any conflict? It's again, we're back to, could you live with your parents again? You love them, but there could be conflict there. Listen, the spirit of the living God has moved into you. And you say, well, it's all going to be like, you know, unicorns and butterflies. It could be, but it probably won't be. And I'll tell you why. Because I have the mind of Christ, but I also have my own mind. And sometimes you've already made up your mind. True? Sometimes you're not looking for someone else's mind. But the Spirit is the manifestation of God's personality inside of you. And what God is doing on planet Earth, He is doing through the Spirit's activity in this world. If you wonder, well, how does God work on planet Earth? Through the Spirit. Where's the Spirit? In you. In us as a church. Those are the two places Corinthians says the Spirit dwells. Here in the assembly with us as a church. And in you personally as a temple. Both are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Holy Spirit is God's personality in you. And here's what we want to say. When people come to Cornerstone, you say, well, what do you expect people to encounter? I expect people to come through these doors, worship with us, and make friendships with you. And in that process, experience the personality of Jesus Christ in this room. If people experience Christ in this room, we have done what we are called to do. But people will only experience the Spirit of Christ in this room, if the individual believers are living pneumaticos lives, filled with the Spirit of Christ, listening to the mind of Christ, synced up and united with the Spirit of Christ, the church can only have the personality of Christ if the individual members who make up the church have the personality of Christ on display in our individual lives. So here's what I want you to think. I want you to think about the Holy Spirit as the inward expression of God's personality in you. Let me give you a terrifying thought. Imagine that the spirit of Damon McMurdo lived in you. Or the spirit of Bobby Harrell lived in you. 
You say, what would that be like? Well, here's what it would be like. If my personality lived in you, you would see things through my eyes. You would, you would talk like I talk. You'd express yourself the way I express myself. My thought patterns would become your thought patterns. And you would be like me. It would transform you to be more like me. And that's terrifying. I know you're thinking right now, please, Lord, no. We don't need a world like that. But now apply that to what we're talking about. God's personality has moved into you. You should begin to see some things through his eyes. Especially people and circumstances. Beginning to see them as Christ would see them. You're beginning now to say things that Christ would say. You're beginning to care like Christ would care. You're beginning to get your emotions to sync up more with his emotions and to be like he is. And it would be reasonable to think that if God's spirit lives inside you, that eventually some God-like behavior would be expressed through you. That's fair. God's personality showing up now imprinted upon your personality. So what is God like? Well, if you really want the, let me just cliff notes it for sake of time, what God is like is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what God would be like if he was a human, you have four books in your Bible that describe what God was like as a human, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is the expression of what God would be like as a human. God was on display in Jesus Christ, and you will find the same thing to be true about Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Christ living in you. It's the same Spirit that was in Christ. His Spirit is in you. And this is the whole point. Now what God is wanting is He's wanting to you to look like what God would look like in a human body. What would God look like in a human body? This should be the answer to that question. Us. He would look like us. Because God's Spirit is transforming us to be like the personality of God. Here's just some thoughts I want you to think about the Holy Spirit working in your life this week. Holy Spirit has emotions. This is not a, an it. This is a person. And people have personhood, have personality. And people who have personality have emotions. Even as I read about Almighty God in the Old Testament, he's full of emotions. Full of emotions. He has emotions. He has joy when you're pursuing Christ. And you can begin to feel that joy bubbling up in your own life then. You say, well, why am I so full of joy? It's coming from the Holy Spirit because you're pursuing Christ. He gets excited and he really stirs when we're sharing the gospel. And when you share the gospel with someone, you're going to have a euphoric feeling about the experience. Whether they receive Christ or not, you're just going to have a euphoric experience. You're going to say, I shared, I shared the gospel with someone, and it was amazing, and it was, it was cool, and I know I planted some seed, or I, I got to lead them to Christ. And you're going to have a certain uh, experience about that. You say, why? Because Holy Spirit in you gets stirred up and fired up when God's people start doing what Jesus would do in his interactions with people and share the gospel. Holy Spirit's courageous. So don't be shocked if you get courage. Holy Spirit is bold, so don't be shocked. Because he passes courage and boldness to us, especially when we need that little extra push to get out of our comfort zone. And you say, well, I just, it was almost not like me to be so forceful in the conversation. Yeah, that's 
Holy Spirit now speaking through you and giving you boldness and giving you courage. He leads you. He guides you. He's not passive, but neither is he forceful. Uh, He's not like... He's not like going to overtake your personality and, you know, body slam you, you know, in your psyche and say, I'm here to take names and I'm in control of you now. No, that's demon possession. Where they come in and force you against your will to be something you're not. Holy Spirit says, I'm here in your hearts and I want you to let me influence you. The mind of God is here. The power of God is here. The Spirit of God is here, but I will not override your will. But if your will says yes to my will, I'll come and help you and empower you to do all that God wants you to do. I'm here for you, but I will not override you against your will. I want you to be willing. This is why it's so important. We call him Holy Spirit and talk to him. You're saying to him, I want you. I want to hear from you. I want to know you. I want to please you. I want you to talk to you. I want you to imprint upon me. I want God's personality stamped on my own personality. He has so much feeling that the scripture says he's frustrated if you won't allow him to transform you. Let me show you this verse, and I'll come back to this in a few weeks. Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know if you've ever grieved somebody by your actions, but the Holy Spirit of God can feel emotions. He's a person, and he wants to influence you, but when you just have made up your mind and won't be influenced, what can he do? What can he do? And he's frustrated. Have you ever tried to help someone and they wouldn't be helped? It's frustrating. And we're frustrating the Spirit of God because we won't accept his help and his influence now i just want to footnote this before i say the last thing i want to say this morning i can tell you about his personality as i have relationally experienced him but it's not the same as you experiencing him yourself i can tell you about the holy spirit of god from the scripture but it's not the same as you talking to him walking with him throwing some axes with him, having some coffee with him, living your life with him, conversing with him, praising with him, talking it out, sharing your thoughts, asking for input. If you will do that, what you'll experience is a transforming relationship. Now let me tie this back together by circling back. Paul uses the Spirit of Christ interchangeably with the Holy Spirit multiple times in his writings. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ, is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is now at work in us, even though Jesus has died, buried, crucified, and ascended to heaven. The ministry of Christ and the Spirit of Christ lives on in you. He has given you His Spirit. He's telling His disciples, I'm leaving but I'm not leaving you alone. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm leaving, but I'm going to prepare a way where we can tabernacle, we can room together in my Father's house. I'm leaving, but I'm going to send the Comforter, and I will be in you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, but I will be in you. He's using this synonymously now. They're separate, but it is the Spirit of Christ. Now, this is a passage. I want to read you this passage about the Spirit. I want you to watch for the word Spirit in the passage. But be shocked when you get to the conclusion, okay? Watch this passage from Paul. 1 Corinthians 2. 
these are the things God has revealed to us. How did he reveal them to us? By his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit? Who's inside your head? You are. (laughs) Some of you are more in your head than others. That's all Paul's saying. You know you because you're in there, right? That's what he's saying. Don't make it complicated. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. You say, why? He is God. He's in there. He is connected to God. He is God. Verse 12. What we have received is not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by who? The Spirit. It's all about Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. This passage is all about the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to mere human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord to instruct him? Watch Paul's conclusion. But we have what? The whole passage is about the Spirit. So what's Paul's conclusion? You have the mind of Christ. So for Paul, having the Spirit, having Holy Spirit in you, is to have the mind of Christ. Well, together. But here is the problem. Your mind is in there too. We just circle back to that. If you're not open to his opinions, yes, he's in here. But if I'm not open to his advice, well, then we're making no progress. Man, as I was just writing the sermon, I wrote a couple of sentences to me and I wrote them to you. Do we really think we can run our lives better listening to God or not listening to God? I mean, seriously, how do we think this is going to work out? Do you really think your life will go better if you obey God or disobey God? I mean, it's really not complicated, but yet you and I every day stifle Holy Spirit into a corner of our mind and say, stay over there until Sunday and I will I will have a cup of coffee together at 1030 on Sunday morning and we'll have it drunk by noon and then I'll see you again in seven days. Ladies and gentlemen, no wonder there's no power in God's people. There's no wonder there's no transformation among us. There's no wonder there's no personality of God bubbling out of our teenagers' lives. No wonder we are not considering ourselves the temple of God because we've relegated the Spirit of God to a very small corner of a one-hour window of our lives and we've not leaned upon the personality and the indwelling of God to say, God, I can't do this week without you. God, I can't make decisions for my family without I've got to know your mind. God, I cannot just do what I'm called to do without you filling me with love and joy and peace. God, I don't have love and joy and peace right now. I'd like to wring someone's neck. God, you've got to help me. Listen, talk it out with him. He is there. And he is God. And he'll pour the personality of God into your life. One more verse and I'll wrap it up. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Watch what Paul does again. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I want you to just pull this into your inner being. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I've done my best to try to lead some small reforms in the modern church. Especially most of us are coming from a pretty conservative, orthodox background among the different faiths. We re- I mean, we're all Christian, but the different denominations we came from in our childhood, most of us are pretty conservative in those backgrounds. And there's nothing wrong with being conservative. I'm a conservative. But some people think I'm a liberal because I'm trying to make some changes, some reforms I know that need to be made. And you say, well, are you in conflict about that? No, I'm at perfect peace. Perfect peace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, you're not under the law. How do you know the Spirit of God has moved in? Could I make it personal for you? Let me ask you a question. Is the Spirit of God living in you? Then there should be some lightness of your being that says, I'm free. In Christ the chains are gone I got saved I'm born again I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus yes it is well with my soul you say why because where the Spirit of the Lord is there's freedom and I'm not just saying free to do whatever you want to do I'm just saying you're free feel free you've been freed from the bondage of sin You've been freed from the ideologies of the world. You're not free to go just do whatever you want to do, but now you're free to live for Christ. And the Spirit of God has moved into your heart, and He's brought the whole personality of God to bear in your life. And He will bring complete transformation to your life. He will transform you. But here is the conflict, only if you'll let Him have control of your life. And understand, I'm a control freak just like you. And giving up control is not an easy thing for most of us. And so it's going to be a daily process where we're going to have to say to the Spirit of God today, or maybe if you're really a control freak, Lord, for the next few minutes I give you control. And Lord, in this meeting, in this classroom, in this context, in this parenting moment, Lord, Lord, at this time I just give you control of my life. My challenge to you is this this morning. If you want to experience real change in your life this fall if you want to experience real spiritual growth it is holy spirit working in you that can accomplish real transformation in your life and i don't mean like in the next 20 years i mean like in the next 20 days i mean in the next few weeks you can begin to see transform if you long to be like jesus christ the spirit of god can give you the personality of christ You have access to the mind of Christ because you have Christ's spirit living in you. But it's not transformative to you unless you're listening to God and acting upon what he's telling you to do. Yes, he's there. You say, well, it's not changing me because we're not saying yes. We're not saying, okay, I'll step out. Okay, I'll do what you're telling me. Yes, I'll pray with them. I think I'm going to feel like a fool, but I'm going to do it. And you reach out, and suddenly you don't feel like a fool. You feel the power and peace of God come over your life, and you're like the person 
Listen, I, I remember the time that I was walking through the garden department over here at Walmart, and God said, this woman needs prayer. And I'm like, I just feel like, God, you're crazy. Or I am. One of us is. It was me, not God. And I walked over to the lady, and I said, you know, the Lord just said, maybe you need a kind word and someone to pray for you. Listen, te- rivers of tears just poured down her face. And in two minutes, she told me her life story and about her daughter and the whole trauma. And I don't want to share it with you because it's very private to her. And she just dumped it out to a perfect stranger in that moment and just started bawling. And I prayed with her right there standing among the tomato plants at Walmart. And I had a moment with God. And I apologized as I walked away and said, God, I don't know why in the world I doubted you. She needed someone to pray with her, and I don't know why I doubted you, God, and sometimes I act the fool, and I'm glad you're God, and you're patient with me. God, I want to listen to you more. You have the power to transform my life, and he has the power to transform your life into something more joyous and more glorious than you have ever experienced, a life of freedom, a life of taking risks for the kingdom of God. And this manifestation of God's activity is through the church. It's through you. It's through us. I want you to just bask in that this week. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let me talk to you in this moment of decision time. The Holy Spirit has regenerated you and brought you to life in Christ. He's taken your spiritual deadness and made it eternal life in you. You're eternally alive in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God has tabernacled, cohabitated, moved into your life, and you are now God's living temple. Heaven and earth are meeting. They are connected in your person. And now the Spirit of God living in you is saying to you, I want to transform you now. Can we get coffee? Can we do something together? Can we have some shared experience where I could get to know you and you could get to know me and we could build this strong, close relationship where I can transfer the personality of God into your life and transform you so that you have the mind of Christ. If you've never been saved, I want you to know that God will save you just as you are. You don't need to say, when I get my act together and get my life all cleaned up, well, then I'm going to ask God to save me. He'll save you just as you are. He'll take you just as you are right now if you'll call upon him. But I do want to say this to you. He loves you way too much to leave you just as you are. He'll take you just as you are. He did for most of you, saved you just as you, but now he wants to transform you into so much more than you have ever been. The fullness of Jesus Christ and your life is going to be so much better than you could ever imagine. Those things we just talked about, I want you to talk to the Holy Spirit right now in this moment. Whether you're acknowledging you're his temple or whether you're saying hello or whether you're making an apology or whether you're repenting, I want you to talk it out with the Holy Spirit. If he talks back to you right now, please respond back to him. 
with some sentences. Don't leave him hanging. And if he talks to you again, talk back to him again. And if you say, he's not speaking to me, well then keep talking to him till he does. It could be that his voice is not that familiar because we haven't talked in a while. But it'll become more familiar. If he's convicting you of some sin in your life, acknowledge it and ask for forgiveness. If he's asking you to do something, tell him right now, I hear you. And I'll do it. And be honest with him. I'm nervous or apprehensive or, or give me boldness, give me courage. Just talk it out with him. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, he'll save you right now just as you are. You don't have to change to be saved. He'll change you after you're saved. If you've never received Christ, I want you to pray with me right now. Make this your prayer to God and ask him to be your Lord and Savior right now. Pray like this. Dear, dear Lord Jesus Christ, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you are who the Bible says you are. The Son of God who came to this earth as a man. And you lived a perfect life and you died on the cross in my place. You were buried, you rose again. To be my Lord and my Savior, you did this. And Lord, I accept you as my King, my Savior, my Lord. Send your Spirit into my life to be with me forever. From this moment, I'm going to be yours. I'm going to be your follower. Forgive me of my sins. And thank you for accepting me as a sinner. Now I'm praying that you would transform me to be like you. Lord, thank you for letting me start that journey today. In Jesus' name, amen.